How you follow that up? Man, not guilty. Just, just think about that. Hearing the Son of God look at you and say, I love you. I love you. And that is such a perfect song for the message God has laid on my heart this morning. As we look at good old Simon Peter, I want you to turn with me to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. And I want to set the stage. Of course, you know, Luke has 24 chapters. And so as you begin really getting into Bible study, you can kind of know where certain stories happen uh, based on where they're at in the book. So if I tell you Luke 22, you know it's getting close to crucifixion time. And you know that we see the resurrection in chapter 24, greatest words in all of mankind for all time. Why seek ye the living among the dead? For he is not here, but is risen. But prior to that, the day was not unlike the day we live in. There was political upheaval. Now remember, all the Jesus followers, many of those who followed him, were following him, expecting him to rid them of the Roman government. They really were let down. And what did they do when he died on the cross? They all fled. All but one apostle left him even at the cross. But once he was dead, they all went and hid. And they thought, it's over. He's dead. Have you not heard? You remember what the guys on the road to Emmaus, or the people on the road to Emmaus, you remember what they all said? Have you not heard? He's dead. All our hope, our future is dead. And it was people against people, different nationalities, different countries, different family members. Friends were divided over these issues. And just like then, today, there are many causes, many causes that we see and hear about every day. There are even more opinions, protests, public figures, and media bombard us with what they believe and why we should stand with them. Sides are drawn. Friends, communities, and our country suffers as it seems everyone, listen to me, Everyone, it seems, is judging what everyone else is thinking or saying. It is so easy to choose sides, speak strong words, but much harder to repair relationships and testimonies once the damage is done. I have come to understand that no one cares about my opinion as much as I do. And the older I get, the less I care. I don't know about y'all, but I have my own conversation. I'm thinking, well, this is way, and then I'm thinking, I don't even care. Why do, why, 
don't even wade into that arena. The big problem here is that we're all flawed. Every single one of us, every one of us, black, red, white, yellow, pink, purple, pokey dotted, we are all flawed. And I used to say that jokingly, but if you've been out in society recently, you'll find somebody that's painted that color. We're all flawed. The Bible's very clear throughout the Old Testament and New. There is none righteous. No, not one. While being offended by others' sin, we often forget our own. We often forget God's grace when we're filled with righteous anger. We forget those words that we heard when we were born again. Not guilty. Not guilty. And because we hear those words, we forget that we once were guilty. Not that we should stay in a sense of guilt, but we ought to stay in a sense of reality that we can do nothing apart from the grace of God. Amen? And so, oftentimes we forget God's grace when we become filled with our own righteous anger. 1 Peter 5, 8 states that the devil does nothing but walk around looking for whom he may devour. Oswald Chambers, any of you ever follow his devotions? Greatest devotion book ever written. Oswald Chambers wrote, It is never wise to underestimate an enemy. We look upon the enemy of our souls as a conquered foe. And so he is, but only to God, not to us. Luke records Jesus explaining to Peter the tactics of Satan. Jesus knew that Peter's arrogance and insolence would be his downfall. I resemble that remark. I've told you many times in my own life, I've wanted to be Paul, but I really am more like Peter. And not the good side either. Listen, Jesus warned Peter of the ensuing attack and that he had prayed for him. Jesus had prayed for him. Jesus knew Peter would deny him. Still, he offered these words of grace so that Peter would find strength to rise from his failure and strengthen others in this grace. Did y'all hear that? That Peter would find the strength. God knew this. Christ knew it. He would find that grace, that strength to rise from failure and strengthen others in the grace he had received. What are some of the things Satan We'll try to separate us from. Look in Luke 22, verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, now to set the stage, Jesus, they had come in and they're getting ready for that, that Passover supper and he sends two of his inner circle to prepare it. For the animal, he sends them to the man of the house and he says, prepare Peter's one of them. Peter goes and serves the Lord. He does what Jesus tells him to do. He goes and obeys. 
And so then when he comes back and they're getting ready and they're getting everything set, Jesus says, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. Sounds a lot like what may have been said in the first chapter of Job, doesn't it? Sounds awful familiar. When somebody loves the Lord and loves God with all their heart and is, it, it has a relationship and, and loves Him and accepts the love of the Lord, Satan's going to come after us. He said, Satan's desired to have you that he may, may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And when you're, you are converted... Strengthen your brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. Oh, what strong, courageous language. He said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast shalt three times deny that you even know me. What a stark difference. Now I want you to notice something. Now when he speaks to him at the end of this context, what does he call him? Peter. A lively rock. That chip off the old block. But he begins by addressing him with his old name. You see, Jesus uses Peter's old name and he uses it uh, and he... Uh, it's only used about, uh, I don't know, uh, a dozen times in the New Testament where there's great emphasis put where Jesus repeats something. And he calls him Simon, Simon. He doubly uses it to shock his attention to a very grave warning. You know, if you want somebody's attention, you're really concerned, you won't stop with calling their name once. Right? Remember, the Lord saw not only Peter's past, he saw his future. Standing there, looking at Simon Peter, he saw him on the water of Galilee, fishing with his father and brother. He saw him serve and walk with him. He saw him in Capernaum when he was there at his mother-in-law's house. He saw Peter walking to and fro and going into the wilderness with him. He saw what he was about to do. He saw him in the garden. He saw him even in his vacancy while he hung on the cross, but yet he saw him standing on the Mount of Pentecost. He even prophesies at the end of one of the books of what his life will look like. I believe at the end of John and how his life will end, Jesus saw his life from beginning to completion. And yet he warns him of what's coming in the immediate future. He told Peter, he said, Satan seeks to have you that he may sift you as wheat. What is the word sift? What, what is that action entail. It literally means to separate large items from small items. Or in this 
setting to, to closely examine, to pick apart that which is good from bad. Not in a good way, but in a bad. To expose the bad things. To separate. And so today I want us to see for just a moment the real enemy of our life and what he's trying to do. I want to tell you, I said it last week and I had several that commented on it about the, the things going on in the world and uh, the plots. I'm telling you something, as we heard of Oswald Chambers, though God has conquered Satan, death, hell, and the grave, we have not personally. And we need to understand that his existence is to lay plots and traps to cause the church to stumble. Every one of us. I don't know about you, but I saw one clip. I don't watch this channel, but I saw one clip of one of the talking heads on a major cable news network say that Jesus admittedly had his own faults while he was here on earth. Some of y'all saw the same clip. Now, I wanted to punch the TV. And I thought, and, but I heard someone else say, when did Jesus ever admit to that? The, the point is, Satan is doing everything he can in our lives right now, in our country, in our family, through everything you can imagine to separate us from the Lord. Well, we know as born-again believers, he can't separate us spiritually. We Listen to me. There is no second baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some may not find that popular. I don't care. Scripturally, you get the Holy Spirit when you're born again. He indwells you. The moment you cry out, Lord, save me, forgive me, cleanse me. And Jesus rushes in with that forgiveness that was granted through Calvary. The Holy Spirit comes in because the triune God, God the Father, the Holy God of all the universe, sent His Son so that you may be redeemed. It is His forgiveness through the intercessor Jesus Christ, the propitiation we heard sung about this morning, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit that both convicts and convinces and takes up residence in your life the moment you're saved. To the point, listen to me, you can't be lost again because it is God the Spirit that seals you until that day of redemption. Somebody say amen. I'm thankful because there's been a lot of days in my life I could have sure got myself lost. But I didn't get myself saved. How arrogant for us to think we can get ourselves lost. The Holy Spirit does that work. So Satan can't do anything about possession. We are bought with a price, amen? But he can't oppress us. And there's some of you sitting here today very oppressed. Some of you are oppressed with all the things that Satan has caused for you in your mind. I, listen, I am one of them, that Satan has come at me in every angle he can through this whole quarantine business. And there's some of you here today, first time you've been back, and I am so, listen, you, just your presence 
has lifted this old preacher's spirit. It really has. And I know, and I don't want anyone to feel guilty, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say it again. If we can go to the beach, if we can go to Walmart, and we can go everywhere else, then what are we really afraid of? When we skip God's worship, who are we trusting in? I respect it, and if you can't come and you're doing it for the right reason, I completely concur, I get it. If you want to wear a mask, listen, I'm not a mask wearer, but that's my choice. I don't find any fault with someone who does at all. Matter of fact, I've worn one on several occasions because it was required. I didn't say, I ain't doing it and throw a fit. No, I did it because it was the thing, right thing to do. Matter of fact, it was law where I had to wear it. But I've done that years before walking in to someone having a bone marrow transplant and they made me literally go in like a surgeon and scrub up and put the whole thing. I didn't say, well, bless God, I'm going in with the power of God. No, I'm still a broken human vessel that carries germs and I didn't want to make her sick. So don't come at me with, oh, he's just being legalistic. No. What I'm trying to tell us today is, though we are saved, sealed, and one day delivered to the very presence of God, we still live in the flesh and we still have faults. So, what we need to understand is the warning Jesus was giving. Number one, he, Satan was trying to separate Peter, and he tries to separate us from our Christ-centered service, what we do. It's hard, isn't it? I'm going to tell you something. It's hard to pastor in a quarantine. It's hard to be there and to do those things. It's hard to do other things. Coach and I were talking about how to have practice if you can't have practice and there only be certain practices and all the rules and regulate. It's hard to live in this thing. It's even harder to serve the Lord. One of our parents wrote an email to Andrew and I last night. That was such an encouragement. It said, thank you for being obedient to the Lord and taking our youth. It was brave and it was the right thing to do. And may we all be on fire for the Lord like they are. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm thankful for Andrew. I'm thankful for the other leaders who went, took a week and went. But it's hard. It's hard for all of us today. And you see, they were quarantined in a sense. Do you realize there were, there were no First Baptist churches, much less Second Baptist? There were no PCA or USA Presbyterian churches. There were no Congregational, Independent, or United Methodist churches. There were no Church of God, Church of Christ, Church of Prophecy. There were none of those. There were none. There was this very, 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 very small ragtag bunch of Jesus followers. But remember, he had not even been to the cross yet. And so they lived in a little bubble. It was just them. They found no support. And in much like we feel often today. And so oftentimes... Just as Peter said after Jesus' death, he said, well, I'm just going back fishing. I'm going fishing. 
Satan will separate us from three very distinct things if we're not careful. First of all, he'll separate us from our power. Jesus knew what the Holy Spirit would do to these guys once he came. And that's why he said, wait until the power comes. Some of us get ahead of the power. And we can't emotionally hype up power and it be real power. Just can't. But when God rushes into our old corpse and makes us alive anew and his power resides on us, then that's where all things are possible. Okay? It's not about winning ball games. It's about winning souls. It's not about using it as our own little tagline. We are to walk in his will. And we must beware. Satan is seeking to separate us from the power of God that he has on our life. Now, some want to take that to a further extreme. As Baptists, we ought to know where we stand on things. And one of those things is when it comes to spiritual giftedness. And we believe that the apostolic gifts died with the apostles. We don't need those sign gifts like they had. But what we do have is the power of the Holy Spirit to do great and mighty works when God leads us to it. We can see great, great things. Listen, he seeks to separate us from our praise. Listen to what he said in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, boy, our, our, our world could use this verse right now, couldn't it? Y'all with me? Whatever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We ought to be about the praise. We ought to be about the good things. We ought to be about the virtuous things that are God. Don't let Satan separate you from your praise. I find one place in the Old Testament, and though he slay me, yet will I praise him. We hear Job say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes us away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We see where he says, in all manners of temptation... Count it joy. Now, that doesn't mean you get up and click your heels and stand out and say, hey, look at me, boy, God is so good. Listen, God is good, but it means to be able to smile through the tears, not avoid them. It means to not miss out on heartache, but to experience God's grace in the midst of it. You can't avoid heartache. You can't avoid trials and tribulations. But you can experience praise through it. Listen, he seeks to separate us from our prayer life. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I want you to get this. Jesus said, I'm praying for you, Peter. Do y'all understand the way prayer works? Now, we pray this, and, and I don't believe it's wrong. We say, Jesus... I ask you to come because he is God. But do you understand that God the Father is who we're praying to? 
And Jesus is the intercessor, God the Son, and no man comes to the Father but by him. So every single time you pray, it's Jesus praying for us. Every single time. Every single time Satan brings accusation against the saints, Jesus says, oh, Father, remember. Remember my blood. I paid for him. I paid for her. Jesus really really loves us. We heard it this morning. He really, all that song, every song we sing, Jesus, God is greater, God is higher, all that is true. And we need to invest in our own minds and think prayer is not just for others. What did he tell Peter when they walked into the garden? Go pray for yourself. It's one thing to pray for others, but it's a whole different thing when you get down and you start praying for yourself and God begins to peel the onion. Amen? Or oh me? Boy, I've gotten down before and I'm going I'm to have me a good prayer time. And I'm going to pray for this person. And I'm going to pray for their heart condition. I'm going to pray for their foot surgery and I'm going to pray for their family and I'm going to pray for our schools and I'm going to pray for our country and God said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's deal with what needs to be dealt with first. Yes, sir, what is it? Deal with this sin in your life. For if we regard iniquity in our own heart, God will not hear us. I don't know about you, but that's the most painful verse in my life sometimes. God says, you can't get any further until you get it right with yourself. Matthew Henry, that great commentator, said, prayer is the key of the morning and the lock of the evening. It opens our day unto the Lord and closes and locks down our life at night. We ought to pray when we get up. We ought to pray when we go to bed. And every moment of every day, moment of every day, pray. Listen, if Satan can stop, God's church from praying, he stopped the church. But then he'll try to separate us from our conviction. You see, Simon Peter only thought he had conviction. He said, although everybody else leaves you, I'm even ready to die for you. He even drew a sword there in the garden. But how quickly... He ran. Some of us are all about wanting to fight when it comes to our hands and tools. It's a whole different issue when it comes to fighting the good fight of faith. You see, he would buckle under pressure. What do you do when a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door? What do you do when somebody gets up in your grill and starts yelling profanity at you? What do you do when you're called something that you know in your heart you're not? And you're accused just in a blanket statement because you're not like them or you've not said something, as we said to start with, publicly in support of something else. What do you do? You see, a conviction is a belief that God ordered, not man. It is not 
an axiom that I have delivered or the Southern Baptist or the Georgia Baptist or Eastside Baptist. A conviction is God-ordered. It is a commandment from God, not traditions of man. A conviction is a personal belief in what God's Word teaches as our standard of conduct and principles for living. These convictions, listen to me, are non-negotiable. There's things that we can agree to disagree on, right? Who we pull for in football, it's not looking good. Who our favorite golfer is. Who our favorite race car driver is. What's our favorite kind of shoe? I don't know. Even whether we like the president or whether we don't. But there are some things that are not up for discussion. God's Word tells us in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture, how much is all? All, right? All. Not a crumb left. All. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. Profitable. Now, Philip, how long are you going to be able to stay president of a bank that doesn't turn a profit? Not very long. Banks sell money. That's, they, they, you know, lend it and get an interest rate and all that kind of stuff. They're, those limits are set by government. FDIC protects your money and all that after the great bank collapses and things like that. But you've got to turn a profit. You're not there for your help. You know, you're in business. Well, the greatest profit in life is found in this book. All of it is profitable. <laughs> Even Leviticus. You know, the law in triplicate. I want you to understand something. You can't read Hebrews. It doesn't exist and it surely doesn't matter if there's not a Leviticus. You just don't. We don't understand who the great high priest is until we understand the first high priest. We don't understand the true Lamb of God until we understand the sacrificial Lamb of the Day of Atonement. We don't understand the weight of the law until we read the depth of ceremonial and temple and dietary laws of the Old Testament. You ever read Revelation, the book of the Apocalypse? You ever read it? And you realize in the first few verses, this is not about the Antichrist. He's in it. It's not about the beast or the dragon. He's in it. It's not about the tribulation or the millennial reign, even though it's in it. The revelation of Jesus Christ. But you can't have revelation until you have Ezekiel and Daniel. Y'all hear me? And so those little small, obscure verses are profitable. He said they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be mature, perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Listen, when the devil sifts us of our conviction, then it becomes compromise. We begin to compromise 
because we hear more noise from the world. Right now, we're having everything and anything shoved at us. Now, I want to just mention something. Please, don't nobody get mad at me. But it seems like over the last few years, the, the more we've headed this way is everybody needs a participation trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. It don't matter. We're not going to keep score. I used to love, I couldn't stand him. He, uh, as a, he wasn't any good as a coach, but Jerry Glanville coached the Atlanta Falcons for a while. Jerry Glanville was this eccentric nut job. He always left tickets for Elvis at Will Call. And Jim Morrison and all, I mean, just crazy stuff. Drove some NASCAR, did some, he was always into these crazy things. One time they interviewed him, they had played a, a preseason game and uh, they had lost. And you know, in preseason in the NFL, they try to see everybody on the team so they can evaluate know who to cut, who to keep, who to get on contract, who to make that 52, 53-man roster, all that kind of stuff. Well, it got toward the end of the game. It's kind of close. He's got all his number one starters in, all this stuff. And they asked him about it. said, why, why are you doing this? It's preseason. He, are you, are you, were you trying to win? He said, are they keeping score? As long as they're keeping score, I want to win. Preseason, postseason, midseason. If you're keeping score, I want to win. Listen, we got we're in a position where everybody needs to be told just how special they are. Well, everybody, and, and you know, we get into blue lives matter, black lives matter, white lives matter, all lives matter, all this, this matter, that matter. I'm gonna tell you where we've headed from all this is we get to where we say. We need to pay more attention to this group. Now I want to ask you, because we, we talk about this, and everybody in this room is involved in what I'm about to say. So don't get mad at me, hear the whole story. Don't shut me down. Who's more important, a nurse or a teacher? Well, you say, well, the teacher had to teach the nurse. Well, I'm going to tell you who's more important. Whether you're a parent of a six-year-old starting first grade, or you've got kidney stones. That's who's more important at the time. But they're equally important. Who's more important, a policeman or a preacher? It's according to whether your house is getting broken into or your child just got locked up and they're lost or you've had a family member on their deathbed. Ain't nothing the police can do about that. But you call for the preacher. You see, everyone matters. Nurses, teachers, farmers, bankers, lawyers. Hey, believe it or not, even lawmakers, they would just do it right. I can't understand why we need them 12 months out of the year. The longer they're in Washington, the more laws they're making. The more laws they're making, the less freedoms we have. Y'all realize that, right? Think about that when you vote this fall. And don't buy into the nonsense that the world's selling. But what we need to understand is compromise is not tolerance. We ought to be tolerable of everyone. Can I tell you something? I hate homosexuality. I can't get used to it in commercials. I don't want to see the advertisement for drugs. I don't want to see it 
portrayed in a Campbell Soup commercial. I don't like it. It's sin. It's very clear in the Bible. But you know what? I love homosexuals. I hate drugs, the bad kind. I love the good kind. And I don't hesitate a minute to go get my doctor to tell me to call my friend Mike and tell him what kind I need. And I can drive right through. That's better than going through McDonald's drive-through anytime. But I hate bad drugs and the effect it has on people. I've seen what it's done. I've seen it just erode who they are. They lo they've lost families. They've lost jobs. They've lost their existence over drugs. I hate what it does, but I love drug addicts. I just do. Because God said so. Listen, I hate the profanity and the perversion in this world, but I want you to remember Jesus went to the harlot. Jesus went to those who had abused their bodies. Jesus went to those who were the dregs of society and reached out and lifted them up. He went to the backbiting. He went to the envious. He went to the cheating law. He went to the, the, uh, the, those collecting taxes and shifting money around. He went to the mobsters. He said, come on, I'm going to go to your house and eat. Because Jesus didn't compromise, but he loved them. Never did he change who he was. God's word has not changed, church. The 21st century did not catch God off guard. Y'all hear me? Young people, look at me. You are being indoctrinated in your classrooms, you're in, being indoctrinated by social media, you're being indoctrinated by your friends and your group, young married couples, hear me, I don't care if you're Z, X, millennial, boomer, I don't care who you are, God's word was the same when we were born and a hundred years before and a thousand years before and it'll be the same when you're dead and gone. Do not let culture change who you are in Christ. I'm sick of seeing young people devoted, young married couples sold out for Christ begin to compromise their conviction of who Christ is because the world says if you don't, then we don't want anything to do with you. We need to have stronger convictions in the doctrines of the faith. Problem is we don't even know what they are. We need it in these last days. And I want to remind you, because some people say, well, preacher, you're just preaching hard, you're doing it. I want you to understand something. Strong convictions, not dogma. All scripture. Now, if it's not based on scripture, and if I say something that's not based on scripture and you challenge me, then I'm caught. You know, I was raised that women didn't wear, you know, certain things, and uh, Becky's family come even stricter from the Pentecostal holiness, Wesleyan group. They didn't cut hair. They didn't have makeup. They didn't pierce their ears. They didn't do any of that stuff. I mean, she was a, almost a teenager before she ever even wore a pair of pants. Does that make her less godly now than, than no? 
some of the things that were taught have been, those traditions have been adopted as conviction and that's not the way it should be. We've got to keep our nose in the book. You see, Peter, if he would have listened as Peter, not as Simon, and he would have listened with his head, not his heart. He got all emotional. We get emotionally charged over this stuff, don't we? We see some of the stuff that's going on. Two more police officers killed this weekend in Texas. But it wasn't through the right. It was domestic disturbance, I believe. It's happening every day. A hundred and something this year that went out to protect and serve and didn't come home. We still have military on shores and coast all around the globe to protect and defend the freedoms that we so readily enjoy. But I got news for you. They're not being threatened. Our freedoms are not being threatened in Venezuela and in China nearly like they are right here in the state of Georgia and the United States of America. Do you think I don't know Thomas Jefferson had slaves? Does it change the fact of what he established? early on. Listen, they're tearing down statues of Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass. They're tearing down statues of Abraham Lincoln. I want you to understand the greatest racial freedom-fighting people in politics in the last 150 years were not the party who they think they are. And you see, the anarchists don't care anything about that. They just want to remove any thought and semblance of the past so they can establish their own truth. That's why the man on TV says, oh, Jesus admittedly had his own faults. Because if you can get rid of a holy God, you ain't got to worry about your own sin. You can say and do whatever you want. We'll try to separate. Satan will try to separate us from our conviction, what we believe, but also what we are. This is our character. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, 1, a good name, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Some of us don't care what people think about us because we all about that dollar. I don't care. Don't matter what people think. I got news for you. Yes, it does. Now, I'm not going to balance my worth before God on what people think because I'm going to make people mad if I stand for the Lord. But if I'm going to suffer, let it be for righteousness' sake. Amen? Not this arrogant, well, I'll just speak my mind. Well, that's very apparent. And it wasn't very deep. Those who always feel like they've got something to say, and they'll say it at a red light. They'll say it wherever, whenever. They've even, I'm not going to use, but they've got their own names for them now. Listen. Our life should be living epistles for the glory of God. The world ought to read Christ in our lives. We are lights set upon a hill. We're salt that 
flavors at a very flavorless world when we are where God wants us. We are to love the world through and for Jesus Christ. For God so loved who? The world. Listen, Satan's doing his best to separate the church from their character. We must not buckle under pressure. And then he'll try to separate us from our compassion, what we feel. Please listen to me. I know it's hard hearing this stuff, watching this stuff, not to get mad at one group of people or at this group of people. I want you to think about some things. Many of those never had a chance that you had. I'm not justifying they need to be locked up when they break the law. They, listen, and a Gideon maybe will give them a Bible and they'll learn about Jesus because nobody else is going to tell them about Jesus. I saw one street preacher had the guts to walk into that autonomous zone in Seattle and proclaim Jesus and they beat him up for it. Does that make me mad? Yeah, it makes me mad. Does it make me thankful? Yeah, it does, that I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that's not afraid. Because I want you to understand, that's been happening all along, all over the world. People dying for the cause of Christ. You need to be praying for the church in China right now. They're under one of the greatest attacks they've ever been under. And the Muslim countries that continue to encroach more and more on the presence of the Lord in those places. Listen, we must not stop feeling. I want to read to you very quickly a couple of verses from Jude. Jude, that little bitty one chapter letter, said in verse 22, And of some have compassion, making a difference. Have compassion. Look back in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted, spotted by the flesh. It all starts with us getting our life right with Him. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And when you do, and receiving the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that grace, you'll show it to others. Listen, we must not be separated from our compassion, but in closing, Satan will try to separate us from our foundation. Not just what we do, but who we are, who we follow. Well, who do we follow? We don't follow Brother Matt. Brother Matt's just one pastor in a long line of pastors at Eastside, but there were churches before Eastside was even here. There were other churches. Many of you were members of other churches at other times that great men, great women taught and preached the gospel to you. I've been in a member of one, two, three, four churches. Four. And I've had great leaders and those who loved and encouraged and directed. We must do that for others, but what we must realize is we're not here to serve east side. We're here to serve the Lord at east side. We're here not to just lift up the pastor on a pedestal, but to love the Lord of the pastor. 
We're to love the under-shepherd, but we're to really love the great shepherd. We're to follow our Savior, for he is the captain of our salvation. We are to follow the scriptures because it is the course of our service. We can do nothing else but stick to the word of God and then we're to follow the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. He is our comforter. He is our everything. Listen, as they come to instruments, it's not what an enemy does to you that matters. Now listen to me. It's not what the enemy does to you that matters. It's how you respond to it. So if I was him, I wouldn't stand there and take that. What if God told you to? It's not what your enemy does. It's how you respond to it. What is your response today? To what's going on in the quarantine with the riots, with the protests? What is, what, what is it that you feel when you see the statues? Well, yeah, I, I feel disgust and anguish, but will we quit in it? Will we quit because of our anger or allow the Lord to strengthen us for future battles in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today, if Satan, and he is, as that roaring lion is walking about your life, and the Lord's whispered into your spirit right now, hey, Satan's trying to separate you from me. He's trying to do whatever. What do we teach our kids? whole stranger danger thing no matter you stay close you stay close I, I think I've told you this story but I want to rehearse it in your mind for just a moment we had just finished revival service one night at church and we took the evangelist to supper it was a rare case that his wife was able to come and so we went to the local feeding trough, Ryan's. We got out of the vehicle and being a good preacher, it was Lynn Turner. Lynn and I began to walk across that parking lot. And Becky with Emily and Ethan in tow and Pansy, they're walking just, Pansy, they're walking just, and we're just all chatting it up. And Lynn and I got to the little side doors Ready, fixing to walk in and we kind of stopped we didn't really we were just finishing the conversation before we opened the door for them to come in and all of a sudden before I could even turn I heard a blood curling scream and I heard tires squealing and I turned around and looked and as I did my whole world slowed down to slow motion to where the slides were clicking about that fast and I saw the van leaned up on its brakes and I saw Ethan turn like this, looking as the van hit him. And he went down and hit the pavement. I saw in slow motion him tense because when he snatched away from his mother and took about three steps, happened that quick. That van, when he got out, the man just about collapsed. He said, I never saw him. I don't know why, but I just sensed. And listen, when Becky yells, you'll all slam her on the brakes, I'm telling you. But she yelled at that moment. 
And that van slammed on the brakes. And Ethan, he had heard his mama scream before too, I guess. And it drawed him. He knew something. And he drawed up and he turned. And when he put his arms up, the bumpers hit him right there. And in his tenseness, he went down. And I saw his head never hit the pavement. And I ran over and I picked him up. Becky's all to pieces. Pansy's trying to comfort her. Lynn's standing there with me. I, I'm rubbing. I said, he's all right. He did. I'm telling you, I saw his head not hit the pavement. He's all right. I checked his arms, made sure I, I do well under that pressure. That quick, he snatched loose. Now, as soon as I handed him to his mother, the reality sank in. I took one step, and Lynn had to grab me because I was out. I just collapsed. Here's why I tell you that story. God's big hand of love, grace, and compassion will hold you as long as you let him. Now, he won't. He says in John that we're in the Father's hand. No man can pluck us out. But so many times in our walk, not in our salvation, but in our walk, we're snatching loose only to run into oncoming traffic. Ethan wasn't old enough to know what he was doing. We are. Where are you at in your walk? Are you where God wants you? Or are you snatching loose, doing whatever you think is the right thing to do? Today, realize Satan is doing everything he can to separate you from the power and presence of God, to separate you from your family, to separate you from your testimony, to change this world. You need to come and pray. Say, God, Satan's on me. I need your help. I need you like never before. Oh God, I'm lost. I need to be saved. I, I don't have the Holy Spirit in me. I've never prayed. Lord, save me today. You don't have time to put this off. Come to Jesus. Stand and come. Come now. Won't you come?